to have um, our director of care and compassion ministries, Dave Upchurch, come and uh, bring the word of God to us. Dave is a dear friend of mine, most certainly, but of all many of you and all of us in some sense, as well as he shares his life uh, and the word with us. So, Dave, please come. Um, have you ever used this to guide your daily devotions? It's amazing. These songs that these people who wrote these songs knew the scripture. So I mean, a suggestion for if you've never tried that, take maybe take one of these these hymns or songs and and use it as you seek uh, God's face every day, seek to pray and and uh, learn more of Him. I'm supposed to preach. You know, this is awfully early for me. You all know that. Those of you who know me, um, okay, I can do this. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, give us hearts that love your word. Give us eyes to see and minds who, who, that seek to know you and know you more thoroughly. That we may love you and serve you well. That you, who sent your only begotten Son, will have all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to uh, Exodus chapter 16. While Chad and I didn't plan it, he preached on this passage, uh, not on this passage, the chapter before this one a couple of weeks ago. So if you remember that, this will help. Uh, as we seek God's face in this His Word. Chapter 16 of Exodus, verse 1. They here is the children of God recently escaped from Egypt. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, 
When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against Him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for He has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was very angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Are there, well, let me just ask it this way, because I bet there are. Which people in the Bible really irritate you? You ever thought about that? You know, which folks just, you read what they do or what they say, and you go, oh, man, that is so bad. Think of, of the mother of James and John. Oh, come on. Lord, can I have one of my sons sit at your right and one at your left? Hadn't she listened to all that Jesus had taught about humility and, and what was going to happen? And No. Or, the, or Samson. Think about Samson. Every time I read that, I go, how can you let Delilah do that to you? Don't you get it? Over and over again, she does it to you. She leads you along and then wham, nails you. And that is so bad. And that's what these people here do to me every time I read about them, until I got to thinking about it. I mean, come on, people. The Red Sea, the Passover, the sweet water at Elim, the oasis. Don't you get it that God's taken care of you? But of course not. They don't get it. And as I thought about how they irritated me as I was looking at this passage, I thought, wait a second. 
What does God have for me? Why are they irritating me? Well, I'm judging them for one thing. I'm saying they're just so messed up. I can't believe it. And that, that kind of makes me feel good, I guess. That's part of the deal because I'm certainly better than they are. But of course, that's not the truth, is it? What did the Lord say about specks and logs? And I'm seeing all of these thousands and thousands of specks in the eyes of the children of Israel, and I'm missing the log in my own. So let's look at this passage and see what this is all about. How is it that in the midst of all of this goodness of God, they could grumble and whine and moan like they did? Let's look at it in, in two ways. This is a two-point sermon for those taking notes. Point one, human fear. We really need to look at the nature of human fear. And second, let's look together at the provision of our God for His people. So first, human fear. As these people came into the wilderness, it was a scary place. There's just no question about it. Uh, think of eastern Colorado, maybe. <laughs> but before the roads, before the towns, before the, the light posts and the, tele and the wires, the electrical wires and the cell phone towers, I guess. But think of Eastern Colorado. What would it have been like to try to cross Eastern Colorado walking with your livestock and your wagons and with your whole family? Your wife, your husband, your kids, and you're going through this wilderness. This dry and desolate place. You and your children might as well have been in a small boat at sea away from the side of land. That's surely what it felt like to them as they did this. And not just them individually as, as individuals or families, but there were thousands of people around. And they were kin, sure, but we know what families can be like, right? <laughs> and aunts and uncles and cousins and nephews and nieces and strangers, folks you'd heard about but didn't know, and you're all in this together. And it's all of these people, and they're squabbling, and they're complaining, and rumors are spreading. You, you've got to know that rumors are all over the place. If, you, if, if you've ever been in a large organization, it's true. Uh, my experience with the military, boy, you talk about rumors. One of the things we would say to families before they would, we would have this big briefing, and the, and the families, before they go, the, the men would go to war back in 2003 and four. We would, we would brief the families. And one of the things somebody would always tell them, and they'd say, don't listen to rumors about when they're coming home. You'll know we're coming home when they get off the airplane. And just... Trust that. And rumors would fly. Yeah, they're only going to be there two more months, only going to be there six weeks. And then, so, so what I'm, I'm saying, of course, is that, wow, think of what it would have been like for them. And, and of course, most of rumors are not the hopeful ones. They're the negative ones. 
Oh, you think it's bad now. Did you hear what he said about what it's like up a couple of days from here? Ah, we're never going to make it. They come to Moses and they come to Aaron and they say, you have brought us, verse 3, you've brought us into this wilderness to kill us. Makes sense, doesn't it? Given where they are. On that level, if you're listening to the rumors and you're taking the counsel of your own fears, which are very real, then that makes all the sense in the world. So when Moses in verse 4 says, in quoting God, he says, that I may test them. This is a real test. A real test of the people of God. They could, they, they could just die right there. And many of them did. There seems to be another factor, too, if we speculate just a little bit. I mean, that's all pretty obvious about the nature of their fear. But there's something else going on here, too, which we can tell by the, by the kinds of things God says to them. And that is their spiritual immaturity for most of them. Now, you take any large group of people, uh, whatever their religion, whether they're Christians or Jews or whatever, there's going to be a, a group of them that are quite devout and have sought to know God well and have really put their heart and their soul into this religion that they're practicing. And that would be true for the people of Israel. I mean, they didn't have the temple. They didn't have the sacrifices. The, most of the prophets were yet to come. They had a tradition of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If they'd listened to their leaders, they would have learned a great deal of God, about God. But it makes sense that most of them, at least half or more, didn't really know God hardly at all. They were down there in Egypt amongst the Egyptian gods and the Egyptian religion. So you add that in, all of that, that notion that it makes all the sense in the world that, that God says to, to Moses that as a result of all this, they will know me because they needed to know him. They didn't know him very well. Their fear then is based in real danger and it's based in the complications brought about by their own sin, their own lack of knowledge of God, the lack of knowledge of the people around them, and the moaning and the grumbling and the negative thinking, frankly, that shows up in all of this grumbling. It's a hard place to be in. Fear led to sin against God. The God who made them, who in fact brought them there to that point, as they would soon learn, and who loved them, and who also provided for them. So that's their fear. What about us? <laughs> what, what about the log in my eye? Where do I see those same kinds of things? Now, we're Egypt materially, aren't we? I heard Dave Ramsey on the radio last week or week before say, 
If you make $34,000 a year in the United States of America, you are in the top 1% of all people in the world. And, I don't know where you got his numbers, but I, I suspect if it's not that, it's very close to that. So materially, the stuff we have, the food we have, we're not looking around for water and food. We've got other fears. And so we grumble, too, don't we? Ever since the fall of man recorded in Genesis 3. And take a look at that passage, too. Death has simply had dominion over this world and over all of us created in God's image who dwell in it. Death simply reigns. It is a dark world. We are in the wilderness in that sense. We look around us and it's scary at times. And really, it should probably be scary to us all the time when we think about it. Most of the time, we don't think about it, which is God's provision, too, I think. But, but, but not only is it a, a dark world because death reigns, but the devil prowls around. The death and the devil stalk our world. Death and the devil stalk our lives. First Peter, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Um, lions and zoos scare me. <laughs> All right. And, and they're, they're behind bars. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's the truth of Scripture. That's God's Word. And I see the, the results of these real fears of the domain of death, the work of the devil, the work of our own sinful hearts and minds in this side of the fall. I see these real fears, these, these real tests in our lives pretty much every day at Grace EPC. You, you think about our prayer letter that goes out and what a great bunch of prayers we got in our fellowship. People pray all the time for one another. But the reason they're praying is because it's the wilderness. Because someone is really sick, someone someone loves. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And it's, it's a deal where I get phone calls from fearful, fearful, fearful parents. I get phone calls and person-to-person -person conversations with folks whose husband or wife is having a hard time or they're having a hard time with them or their marriage is, is having a hard time. This is the nature of the world in which we live. Or of people who don't have a job and, and, wow, to lose a job is powerful stuff in the United States of America especially. And even though we're in Egypt materially, we're in the wilderness 
in this sin-darkened world. And so our fears lead us to places just where the people of Israel, the children of Israel, were in the wilderness. We doubt God's goodness. Our prayers seem to be unheard. We grumble about God's provision. How could he do that? Or even our fears can lead to failure to obey God's command because we just don't trust him. We don't know him well enough to trust him. We don't see his commands as part of his provision for us, and so we disobey. We think, as Satan said in the garden to Adam and Eve, did God really say Is that what he meant in this situation? Oh, surely not. Surely there's a way around that. And that reflects where we are as God's people. We're guilty of fear-induced grumbling and complaining against what we know when we think about it. And what we know when we think about it is that God is good and does good in the lives of us His people. And so instead we're saying, let's go back to Egypt where at least there's food. So our hearts are very much like theirs. And I shouldn't whine about them either, should I? I shouldn't complain about them. Because they're just like we are. Though we have, and and, and really it's more than that. Because though we haven't seen the manna in the wilderness, we've seen the bread of life, the Lord Jesus. Now, I've got to catch myself, don't I? So as we look at their complaints and their grumbling and their lack of knowledge of God, the second thing we want to do is look at God's provision for him, for them, and see how that works in our lives too. God met their material needs in a wonderful way. As, as God brought the manna and the quail and later on water, even as he had done prior to then, um, Did their complaining work? (laughs) Did did their whining to God and their grumbling amongst themselves somehow work? No. God knew what he was doing. Even in the way, though, that God provided morning and evening food for them in the midst of the wilderness, we see that God was about something even more than that. Because look at the way he provided that food. He gave them Just enough. Just enough so they'd continue to depend on it. And he gave them just enough on Friday night, or excuse me, Friday morning, to last them to Sunday morning. He wanted them to know that he is their God. They see his provision on the Sabbath, even when they're tempted to save more than what he'd provided for them. God's uh, another way to look. All right. So you get this material provision, but 
material provision with an edge, if you will. Material provision with a little bit more going on here for them to learn about God. And then, if you think about it, the fear itself is a provision of God. The fear itself. God gave them that fear to help them avoid the dangers of this sin-darkened world. It really is dangerous to wander around eastern Colorado without food and water. I mean, it, it should be scary. <laughs> it's a scary place in that sense. If you're from eastern Colorado, I'm sorry. I just love it. It's really desolate. You ever notice that? It, it parts of it? <laughs> notice I didn't say western Kansas. Yeah. Okay. Now. Okay. Um, but, but I mean, really, that fear, that, that, that fear that they had was part of God's provision. It, 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 it brought their, it got their attention, if nothing else. And it was, of course, far more than that. Where their sin was, was not, their sin didn't involve, ignore, ignore they shouldn't have ignored the fears. Their sin was that they took the counsel of those fears. They listened to those fears rather than to God's appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron, who were leading them through this wilderness. Those are the men to whom they should have listened, not their own fears. And of course, what that meant was they weren't listening to God either. And that's who they should have been listening to. They should have been listening to all that he had taught them. Their sin was to fail to fear God as they ought to have feared Him. How could they complain to the great I Am, the Maker of heaven and earth? Yeah, that's the nature that our fear, that's where our fears take us. So God provided food and water, He provided fear. And he also provided this place in this situation for them. They were exactly where he wanted them after he had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. God led Moses. And Moses... As Bugs Bunny once said, did not take a wrong turn in Albuquerque. Bugs really said that, by the way. He, he didn't take a wrong turn. They were right where they needed to be. That was God's provision. They feared and he used this sinful fear to bring them closer to himself. And we don't know how many of those people learnt, figured it out after this incident, but a whole lot more of them did than had before. And, and we see that there's still plenty of problems with the people, the children of Israel. But it led to increased faith, 
in this God who called them to himself and who made them for himself. Their sinful fear led to increased faith and trust in the God who delivered them from slavery, from the terrors of the Egyptian army, from the waters of the Red Sea, and now delivers them yet again from starvation and death in the wilderness. God used their fear, in other words, to mightily work love and trust in himself. And that love and that trust would be tested and strengthened in the years to come. When John Calvin read this passage, he made this comment about what was going on here. By their need, God invites them to feel his power. His power by which he created the world out of nothing. Feel the power of this God who created the world out of nothing. Not just food for everyone, food for his people. They were learning that indeed they were the people of God. Now, our, materi our material needs are not normally the source of our fears. Sure, sometimes they are. Um, where am I going to live tonight becomes one of them at times. But not normally for us. Rather, the counsel of our fears is in other places. And so we need to look at God's provision for our sinful grumbling, our complaining against him. Where do we see the glory of God in our lives in the wilderness as we seek to live for him? There's there's several ways in which we need to remind ourselves, I think, as we read this passage of what's going on really in this world. First, we are indeed his people. Bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He made the world out of nothing and he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for us. Just like he chose Israel, he chose to redeem us from our Egyptian servitude to sin and death. He chose to redeem all who come to him. What did we read earlier from Matthew? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Wow. That's who we are. We need to keep prodding ourselves to remember that. Not in any sense of pride, but the cost that was paid, the price that was paid, rather, that we might know him. We rest in that. Second, look at the long suffering of God. See, that was the thing that was really irritating me about these people before I looked at them in a little more detail is. How many times is God going to do this for you before you get it? And I say to myself, yeah, right. <laughs> How many times before I get it? 
when I complain. So we rest secure in this faithful, loving kindness of this God who paid the price for us. Look back in your life and see it. From time to time, stop and go, yeah, He did it then. He's the same God yesterday and today and forever. He, he provided for me then. Maybe not in the way I wanted, but He took care of me. And I see that now. Over and over again. Third, we need to remind ourselves that He knows exactly what He's doing with us. That's Romans 8.28. All things do indeed work together for good to those who love Christ and are called according to His purposes. God did not take a wrong turn at Albuquerque. Right? Finally, He tests us. He indeed tests us. The Scripture teaches that over and over and over again. That's one of the main ways He uses to build us in Him, to give us greater love for Him and faith in Him and trust in Him for this sin-darkened life that we live in this wilderness. And He does that to shape us and make us into the people all, uh, that He wants us to be all for His own glory. The, Peter in 1 Peter says the word refine. As gold is refined. Calvin said it. By our need, God invites us to feel His power. The power by which He created the world out of nothing. What a God we have. You know, the Lord Jesus ran into some grumbling people. No shock. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, they were in the wilderness. And they didn't have any food. And there was this huge crowd there. And his disciples came to him and said, send all these folks home <laughs> so we don't have to feed them. And the Lord said, he didn't say, you don't get it, do you? No, what he said was, what do you have? And they said to him, we have some loaves and some fish. And then the Lord miraculously fed the 5,000 who were gathered there. In the wilderness. John 6, verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come from heaven. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is, he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, I, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread that I will give him for the life of the that he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's what it's about. Praise God for the deliverance of His people. Praise God for His provision in so many wonderful ways for all of our fears. May He give us grace to serve Him well. May He give us eyes to see and hearts to know this God. Amen. Please stand. As we pray this morning, I'm, I'm going to pause occasionally on a different topic. Please offer silent prayers as, as I lead us as we pray for one another, God's people. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your wonderful, wonderful provision for us, for your Son who is indeed our life. Help us to always feed on him and him alone. Help us, we ask. Give us courage to trust you and follow you as you lead us, even as you called Moses and Aaron to lead his people. Help us to follow your son. Our God, we, we have so many needs in this sin-filled world. And we ask now for your help in particular fears that we face. We pray for our family members who don't know you as Lord and Savior. Please work your salvation in these. Our Father, we know people who are sick, people who are out of work, people who face the temptation to long for the, for the flesh pots of Egypt. Please help them now, we ask. And for our country, Lord God, as we look around us and we see the work of the devil in sinful human hearts and everywhere, 
We pray especially for the babies who are yet to be born. That you will give our change our country and protect them. We pray for especially the babies yet to be born in our own midst. Help these mothers and their fathers and strengthen them. And even as we pray, we can think of things that we know of that have occurred in which we rejoice. We rejoice that that Genevieve and Children's Mercy is not going to have to face surgery tomorrow. Thank you for answering our prayers in that regard. Please continue to heal her and help Amy and Doug as they parent her. And for others we know of and you're in need of your help, where we have seen you work, we rejoice and we thank you. Our God, we thank you that you've helped us to worship you. Help us to continue to do that. Give us the grace that we need to live for you in this time of need. We ask all of these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let's sing together.